It's fall, the water's cooling off, and the bait fish are concentrating in the main basin of the lake. What does that mean for anglers? It's time to go vertical. Yep, we're going to talk about vertical fishing on this episode of Fishful Thinker, the podcast. I'm Chad Lachance, and you're listening to Fishful Thinker, the podcast. All things fishful, all the time. Hey guys, LaChance here. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Fishful Thinker, the podcast. As always, we do appreciate that very much. It is a labor of love. Now, before I get too far into this podcast, I want to quickly throw out that I have been under the weather for about 10 days or so, and we want to keep this podcast rolling. So I'm going to apologize in advance if my voice sounds rough. I'm working on a cough drop here, and... uh, I'm going to try to keep uh, keep myself from coughing too much. But, you know, it's a busy time of year for outdoorsmen, myself included, which is probably why I'm under the weather. I've spent more time outside than inside in all sorts of weather uh, for the last month, and, uh, and it's finally caught up to me. So I'm conflicted at this time of year, guys, because I've, got, I've been hunting bears. Now I've got an antelope tag. Um, got deer tags coming up right after that. And it's, uh, it's time to be in the woods and, and harvesting the stuff to fill the freezer up with. And that's really good, but it's also an excellent time to be on the water as an angler. And the Fishful Thinker guides are on the water today while I'm homesick and recording podcasts. And, uh, and I know that they're doing some vertical fishing. And it's one of my favorite bites of the year, which is funny because... It's one of the last things I learned uh, as an angler, not the last things, but one of the things I learned late in uh, in my angling. It wasn't until I started hanging around with Dan Swanson. You guys probably know him from the podcast and Fishful Thinker Television and the YouTube channel and all that. Dan's been a guide with me for more than a decade as well. He's one of the leading experts in the entire country on sonar and GPS use. And he's a lifelong walleye guy, uh, originally based in Minnesota. When he moved to the West United States in the 80s, he basically embraced that vertical fall bite, and he's won walleye tournaments doing it, even here on our home lake, and he's very good at it. And the, the, the big characteristics of the fall bite, what, what has to happen to make it come into play, is water temps need to cool significantly. And what that will do, and we want them cooling consistently as well, what that will do is it will cool the shallow the shallows down a whole bunch. And fish are cold-blooded, so they will start seeking out more stable temperature environments, and they will start preparing for wintertime. And what that will mean is they'll all pile into the main basin of the lake. They'll get very close to the deepest water in the lake. That doesn't mean they'll be on the bottom. It just means they'll be in and around the deepest water in the lake. So they might be 40 feet down, over 250 feet of water here at my home lake, Uh, depending on the lake, they might be sitting right on the bottom. But regardless, they're going to be in the main basin of the lake. And this is going to go on more and more and more as the season progresses. And our goal is always to bring you a podcast a little bit in advance. I don't want to tell you something that happened two weeks ago. I want to tell you something that's going to happen in two weeks. And so to be honest, here in my home area in northern Colorado, it's just getting cold enough for that bite to come around uh, to where it's getting to be a good bite. But I think as by the time you guys all listen to this and get your boat out on the lake, it will be time, and that's important. So let's talk about a couple of key things. First of all, what do we mean by the vertical bite? Basically, we are working a bait straight up and down under the boat. Now, you could do that with a lot of baits, but the bait needs to be somewhat erratic in the first place. And the reason is this. There is a ton of bait fish that you're going to be fishing around if you're doing this correctly. If your sonar is not showing you a whole bunch of bait fish, 
uh, or at least some bait fish, you're probably not in the right areas of the lake. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to be overwhelmed with bait fish. It just means you're going to be some access to bait fish for, for this to really work. And what that means is you need to be able to catch the attention of the fish because if they're sitting around a school with 5,000 shad in it, you don't want to look just like one of those other shad. You need to be the erratic, the unpredictable one, the one that isn't acting right, the one that catches their eye. And in my opinion, there's no better bait for that than some sort of a jigging spoon. Now, <clears throat> a jigging spoon varies from some other spoons in that it tends to be very dense, very compact. And that speeds up the sink rate a bunch. And the faster it sinks, the more erratic it tends to get. So something like a Johnson Splinter uh, or a Castmaster or a Hopkins or... Uh, any one of a slew of other jigging spoons will do just that. As you as you drop the bait and let it go straight down on semi-slack or slack line, it will flutter around crazy. It will go every which way, never acting the same way twice. And it becomes an excellent trigger mechanism as it falls down through the water column to get fish to bite. Uh, just for the record, I should clarify what fish we're talking about. We're talking about stripers, wipers, larger smallmouth bass, walleyes, big reservoir trout, very much will do it. Uh, I've caught some huge crappie uh, slabbing deep as well, not to mention some fish you might not think about like channel cats or even carp. And I've caught a whole pile of carp vertical spooning for walleyes or bass. So it's it speaks to how much bait there really is available to the fish in the system when even the bottom feeders are working on the bait fish. So, vertical is key. Now, besides the spoons, as I mentioned, another possibility could be a blade bait, something like a Johnson Thin Fisher. A um, little bit less erratic than the spoon, but a very nice shimmy on the fall, nonetheless. <clears throat> Will definitely get fish's attention and can work really well for triggering bites. And the last one would be something like a gliding jig. Now. A gliding jig is the one that's probably least understood, uh, the most well-guarded secret, but we're talking about something like a Johnny Darter or a Jig and Wrap, uh, something like that. And it, the real, those were originally designed as ice fishing baits, which should tell you something about how they fish vertically, but they work very well in open water as well. And on any given day, I will have all three of them rigged in the boat. If I'm going out Let's say it's uh, you know the last week of October. I'm going to have all three of those on the deck of my boat, and I'm going to rotate through them on a regular basis to let the fish tell me which ones they want. That's going to be very important because on any given day, it can change. What doesn't change a lot for me is the color of those baits, any one of the three. Chrome is going to get the nod for me most of the time, some sort of chrome, either a pure chrome. Uh, one of my favorites is, uh, is the Johnson Splinter in the coleslaw color. It's chrome on one side, and it's kind of a white chartreuse green on the other side. So you get a good strobe effect from the white and, this, and the flash from the shiny side of the spoon as well. Fantastic color for, for uh, you know, vertical spooning of some sort. I might have a hint of blue or purple or chartreuse, but for the most part, I'm looking at something shiny. Now, if the water is significantly off-colored to where my strobe effect goes completely out the window, uh, I've seen that in places like Glendo Reservoir in Wyoming where there's really no light penetration, then I will go to a pearl white or a pure white spoon. 
either of which are also excellent choices, but my colors aren't really gonna vary far from that. I don't carry you know 50 colors of, of, of baits. I'm carrying a heavy chrome base with a little bit of blue, a little bit of chartreuse, and then a, a slew of white ones of bone white, pearl white, whatever, as far as that range goes as well. And I don't get hung up, if you guys are fans of Fishful Thinker, I don't get hung up on color nuances so much. I get in the color range and call it a day from there. And it usually works for me and it keeps me from carrying 10,000 pounds of tackle in my boat. So, what are some of the keys to presenting this bait, uh, whether it be the blade bait, the spoon, or the gliding jig? In my opinion, the single biggest thing is your rod and line selection. And then the second biggest thing from there is your control of slack line. And let me just be blunt. This technique will wreck your tackle, okay? You can wreck your elbows, you can wreck your wrists, you can wreck your tackle, because here's why. <clears throat> You're fishing a heavy spoon. A lot of cases, this is a Western Reservoir-based thing, um, which means you're probably fishing around a rocky, or potentially fishing around a rocky area where snagging can be an issue and you're gonna fish straight braid on a stiff rod. And I do recommend a relatively stiff fishing rod for this so you don't wear yourself out and you have better feel and you have more instantaneous hook sets. So I'm not a fan of taking a jigging spoon and putting it on a rod that it's exactly weighted for. So in other words, a quarter ounce jigging spoon would be great on a medium powered rod, but I probably will fish it on a short, medium, heavy powered rod for it go vertical because I don't have to jerk up so hard on it to get the bait to jump up and then I can follow it down with the rod tip and, and watch it go back to the bottom and check for bites. The other thing is it gives me a more crisp and instantaneous hook set. And that's really important with a jigging spoon, a blade bait, or a gliding jig and here's why. If a fish grabs a rubber worm, it feels soft and, you know, uh, you know, a tube jig or a gulp minnow or anything like that, if it's got the right feel and softness and everything in their mouth. But when they smack that spoon that's sinking down through the water column, it's right up there with smacking yourself in the front teeth with a fork. It's not going to feel great to them and they are not going to hold on to that bait, which means you need to be Johnny on the spot with a hook set. They're going to spit that thing out really quick. And if you're lucky, you notice that they spit it out and you keep fishing it and hopefully one of his buddies will grab it thinking it got away because the other thing that's so great about vertical fishing is you're typically going to be around at least small schools of fish. Smallmouth bass will be schooled up. Wipers and white bass will be schooled up. A lot of times the trout will work over schools together as well. So if you miss a fish, keep working the bait. Do not reel the bait up. That's day one stuff with a jig and a lot of other things as well. But even more important with the jigging spoon because you're gonna miss some fish. The reason you're gonna miss them is they're not gonna hold it. What They're gonna smack it, it's on semi-slack or pure slack line. You're not gonna realize in time to get the hook set. By the time you realize it and jerk on your end of it, the fish has already spit it out on the other end. So what you're hoping for is that his buddy saw him grab it and then his buddy will grab it when, he's, when he spit it out and you jerked on it to try to set the hook. So the biggest key to presenting it is what I just alluded to. <clears throat> this is not a lift. We wanna snap that bait up and, and it might be, might be three to five inches, it might be three to five feet depending on the day. I always will start with bigger 
uh, lift and drops and refine down from there. And the reason I do that is I can cover more of the water column. So if I can jerk the bait up 10 feet up and then follow it down with a rod tip, then I can for sure cover more of the water column if they'll bite it that way. But if I find out that all of them are biting right at the bottom uh, or right at the top, then I will refine how high I lift that bait and that will keep me in the strike zone a little bit longer. So the other thing you have to keep in mind about presenting this bait doing this is you don't want total slack. You don't want to just drop the rod completely to where all your line piles up on the surface. And the reason being is you'll have no feel of the bait at all. Conversely, you don't want to hold it with the rod tip to where it doesn't fall at its natural rate because if you do that, it won't be erratic and it won't dart side to side and bounce around crazy like a, like a football that somebody punted down the field and it goes all crazy. You want the bait to go crazy, but you don't want it to go crazy on total slack lines such that you don't know that it's been bit. So it becomes a exercise in following the bait down. So long story short, I want my rod tip to drop down. So I want to jerk the bait up, and then follow it down with the rod tip or guard it on its fall. And what that means is I want the rod tip to be moving down at the same rate that the bait is moving down so that I maintain an even amount of slack in between the rod tip and the surface of the water. And it takes a little bit of feel, I'm not gonna lie to you, but if you get that feel dialed, you can be an excellent vertical fisherman or an excellent snap jigger as well, which is a whole nother, you know topic for a whole nother podcast. But that idea of guarding a bait as it drops, as opposed to letting it drop on slack line or holding it tight, is a really key thing. And vertical jigging is the easiest, or vertical spooning is the easiest way, in my opinion, to learn it because it's happening straight up and down. Now, I also want to point out that it doesn't matter if I have the jigging spoon, the blade bait, or the glide bait, I'm going to, or the gliding jig, I should say, I'm going to basically work them the same. The differences will be how they sink, whereas the spoon's the most erratic, uh, the most crazy looking. The blade is the most calm. It's just more got of a high-frequency shimmy on its way down. And then the gliding jig will cover all sorts of water, but in a more graceful gliding motion, as its name implies. So <clears throat> the differences in how they work on any given day will depend on your fish and your pressure systems, your weather, and blah, blah, blah. But again, I'll mix and match those on, on any given day. And I'll mix and match it against other guys in the boat so that we don't tune in, uh, our fish don't tune in quite as quick because we're both throwing the same thing. So... Really important that you manage that slack on the drop with all three of the baits. They don't drop at the same rate, so you've got to just basically watch the, the, the slack and the line and follow it with the rod. Really, really important. And again, if anything's different, if the bait doesn't sink back down to where it came from, you set the hook. If it sinks faster, you set the hook. If it jerks from to one side or the other, you set the hook. If if a bird flies over, set the hook. And the reason being is the hook sets not fundamentally different than working the bait. So in this case, they really are free. You're not going to spook any fish with it. If your bait goes halfway to the bottom and something doesn't seem right, uh, go ahead and yank it. It's no problem because you're just going to drop it right back down anyway. The biggest thing is don't reel it up. You can't you basically need to just take your hand off the reel and let the bait work up and down underneath you. Now, I also want to point out, I just referenced the bottom there, 
this may or may not be a bottom-oriented deal, and that's up to you and your sonar to tell you. So, for instance, in my home lake, it's very common for the fish to stack up between 40 and 55 feet deep at this time of year. And a lot of bass guys are like, oh man, that's really, really deep. Well, not really. I caught bluegill 55 feet deep here uh, doing this. So, yeah, it's deep by maybe Eastern standards, but it's not deep for the West. And those fish might be schooled up at or above the thermocline that's set up in the lake. Uh, and what they'll do basically is they're suspended over deep water. So I might the boat might be sitting in 100 feet of water and I'm fishing 40 feet down. The boat might be sitting in 200 feet of water and I'm fishing 40 feet down. Day in and day out as it goes as, as, as a general rule, you're better to fish at or slightly above your fish, not below them. So if your sonar is showing you that there's a bunch of fish sitting, even if the bait is below them, you don't want your lure in the bait so much as you want your lure in front of the fish. So wherever you're seeing the arches or wherever you're getting uh, you know, good solid returns that are, that are returning color, which are the fish you want, as opposed to the bait fish themselves, you want your lure at or above that depth. Now, I used to use a product called Berkeley Tracer Braid for doing this. The problem is they discontinued it and it changed color every two and a half feet. And it was really good for this because you could literally just count the colors as the bait dropped and you'd know how deep you are. These days, you either need to count it down, which is a, it can be an excellent way to do it if you know the fall rate of your bait. You can use the general rule of thumb of one foot per second. That'll get you in the ballpark. Another possibility, which is getting increasingly more common these days, even amongst kayak guys, is some sort of live sonar, active target or, you know, whatever, whatever your, your sonar choice is, but the live sonar. Because then I can put it in the down-facing mode where I'm looking straight underneath the front of my boat and I can drop my spoon down and I can just watch my spoon and I can see... Is my spoon getting all the way to my depth? Is it, you know, basically long story short, exactly what's going on? More importantly, I can tell you, I can watch the bait fish pull away from the spoon, which is very common. If you've got a bunch of shad under the boat and you drop that spoon through the middle of them, as a general rule, they will scatter away from it. That's your best friend because when they scatter away, they're going to expose your spoon. That motion of the bait fish scattering away from your spoon will get the attention of any predator fish that are nearby, and now your spoon is the proverbial sitting duck right there in the middle. So scattering the bait fish with the spoon, something you can watch on your live sonar or your active target or whatever you whatever brand you have, you can watch it happen, and it will work really, really well for you. And if there's ever a use for live sonar, live, live stuff, this is it, in my opinion. So uh, also an excellent way to learn how your live stuff works. So go out and fish around it because you will be able to see those smallmouth or trout or whatever as they interact with your bait. And what you're going to find out is the same thing I'm learning because we're kind of all learning this at the same time with regards to the live sonar. It's only been out a couple of years, realistically. Um, you're going to have fish around your bait a lot more than you think especially when you're vertical fishing or drop shotting a little bit earlier in the summer when we're fishing structure with drop shots, same thing. I put a drop shot down, usually within a few seconds, there's fish all around it. It's amazing how many fish will come look versus those that bite, which is humbling and frustrating at the same time as educational. 
Same thing with the vertical spooning. Uh, you're going to have fish that are like, hey, that thing's cool, and they watch it go up and down and up and down and don't bite it, and you can drive yourself crazy. That You just have to understand that, that a percentage of them will bite it. And I will say this, continuously working up and down in front of the same fish has not really panned out for me. So when I'm seeing some of that going, I might pitch the bait out a little bit of ways from the boat. And I'm talking maybe 20 to 40 feet from the boat and then work it in kind of a hybrid retrieve. So I'm working it the same way with the rod, but I'm controlling a little bit of a bow in the line out to where the bait is, and then I'll pick up a little bit of slack each time with the reel as the bait gets closer to the boat. Now, <clears throat> it's harder to feel, it's harder to be precise, it's harder to control your depth if you're not fishing truly vertical. Flip side of it is, you're out away from your boat, you can cover a little bit more water. So once you develop a feel for it, pitching the bait out, you know, 50 feet from the boat and then fishing it more or less vertically back to the to underneath the boat can be really call, really good call. Uh, keep in mind, again, you'll have to control a little bit of slack with the reel versus if you're truly vertical, you don't really need the reel for much of anything. You're just ripping up and down and, and until you hook a fish. Now, the reason I said you can get your elbows and your wrists and things like that with this because it's straight braid. I do this with 20 pound braid or 15 pound braid. Typically I'll do anything like this with X9 braid and I like to do it on spinning tackle because A, it's less fatiguing and it's more natural and with your wrist and your balance. And I can just barely hold the, the rod in my hand. Just make sure at all times that your braided line is in the line roller on the reel. The hook sets are crisp. The braid has no stretch to it. The hook sets are crisp. I've already mentioned that you've got a stiffer than average rod to do this. I also like a shorter than average rod for this in most cases. So I'm going to be in a in a six foot three to six foot eight range as opposed to most of my other rods being say six foot eight to seven foot chain in change for my spinning rods. Uh, for one, and then for two, uh, you're going to have a fluorocarbon leader of some sort on the very end of it. Now, I've done a fair bit of spooning with no leader on there in really stained water, and that'll work pretty good, but the problem you're going to run into is your spoon will grab your line a bunch, and it will cause you all kinds of issues. So a short piece of fluorocarbon on there or even a long piece of fluorocarbon on the end of it's fine. Uh, I've seen folks put swivels between the fluorocarbon and the uh, braid, as opposed to putting a swivel down on the bottom. I am not an advocate of that because that swivel will sink as well. And you can see the swivel on your active sonar and you'll be able to see that it's actually sinking off to one side or the other. Uh, you know, and, and so I don't necessarily advocate that, although I see a lot of people rig them that way. I would, if you, if you feel the need for a swivel on there, then put the swivel down at the bait. Use the smallest swivel you can get because even a little tiny one's way stronger than your line. And, and just go with that route. If I'm also with my spoon, I'll make my swivels, I'll use chrome swivels instead of black swivels uh, just to help with the, with the presentation or to, with the overall look of the bait. But you gotta have the fluorocarbon leader. In my case, it's gonna typically be somewhere around 10 pound test. Uh, Trilene 100% fluorocarbon. It, the leader's probably gonna be anywhere between two and four feet long, which is a long leader for me. If you're a fan, you know I'm an advocate of short leaders. Um, for casting applications, but we're fishing vertical here. So as a general rule, uh, one of the things you can look at is say, okay, I'm doing a five-foot lift and drop motion. Well, then a five-foot leader would be a good call. I'm doing a two-foot drift lift and drop motion. Well, maybe two or three-foot leader is a good call. But regardless, it's not critical the length of the leader. 
but keep an eye on it. And if it changes your bites, do something about it. In general, there's no negative to a longer leader in this particular case. So I'll get away with the long because you're not trying to cast it or anything like that. So I want the fluorocarbon leader on there. Uh, it's a line watching game for sure. It's also a feel game for sure. And the biggest thing I find with clients, when you pull up, a lot of your bites are going to happen right at the top. So in other words, you jerk the bait up right as a spoon stalls on its way up and starts to fall down, they're going to get it right there. And you're going to be caught with your rod tip high at that scenario, which is a little tougher to set the hook. The beauty of the straight braid is you don't hardly have to pull on the other end of it to get the hook to set. So a quick upward snap will get you done. If they're biting right at the bottom of the drop, it's much easier to time them because at that point you've got good feel on the bait. You've got good track of where the bait is. You can feel those and you can get a good hook set on those and anywhere in between there, it just kind of depends on what the scenario is. But the hook sets need to be crisp and sharp and most importantly, you need to hold them tight because you are using a little bit of a stiff rod, you've got no stretch line. So when I jerk at this end, you have to be really careful to hold that rod there and wind back down to the fish. And what I find out with clients is they jerk up, they hang the fish, but then they drop the rod tip down and give it enough slack that the fish can shake and those spoons are heavy and dense and they'll shake them off and, and you'll end up losing a bunch of fish. So when you jerk up and you got them, you feel it come tight, reel down to the fish, uh, as opposed to dropping the rod tip back down, really, really important <clears throat> that you do that. Because like I said, if you don't, you're going to have fish that'll shake and that heavy spoon will pull the hook right loose and they'll come off. And it it's worse with, with uh, any of the bass species, the white bass, wipers, or smallmouth. It's not quite as bad with walleyes because once a spoon sticks a walleye, they tend to grab a little bit better into the, the walleyes have a little bit more sturdy constructed mouth and uh, don't tend to head shake quite as much. So walleyes are a little easier in that regard. So uh, the other thing to keep in mind is if you see all of your, your fish are below the bait, then I really like a, a little bit larger or heavier spoon. If all my fish are above the bait, I like a lighter weight spoon. And that's a little bit of a nuance. It's not something that is a, you know, written in stone. But the reason is, is when, the, when my fish are below the bait, my sonar is showing me that, I want that bait to be bulky and go through and scatter the, the bait fish. It's a little bit harder for fish to notice because they're looking up into a cloud of bait fish. If they're sitting above, which typically occurs when the bait fish are below the, the uh, thermocline area because I have smelt in my home lake, then I can get away with a little bit smaller, a little bit lighter spoon, and it will do a fine job of, of getting, uh, getting those fish to bite. So <clears throat> last thing I'll throw out here is these fish will move. The bait fish will move. Most cases, shad, smelt, you know, anchovies, alewives, they're all a little bit pelagic in that they will roam. Uh, as soon as you're out of bites, start working small circles around where you were around bites or just vacate literally and go looking for them elsewhere because you cannot count on fish typically sitting in one area for a long period of time because the bait fish will move around. Now, if you're looking for a place to start looking, okay, find whatever depth your bait fish are at using your sonar. This is a very sonar intensive, if you haven't figured this out, this is a very sonar intensive way to catch fish. Find where those fish are most, uh, the bait fish are most concentrated depth-wise, and then look for your sport fish where that depth, where that structure uh, 
is at that depth. In other words, let's say a big long tapering point here at my home lake. If my bait fish are at 40 feet, I'm gonna go out into those big tapering points at 40 feet and see if I can find bass because bass want to relate to the structure the bait fish may or may not care so much about the structure, but the bass like it as opposed to being in open water. So anywhere the bait fish come up against your structure is going to be an excellent spot to fish. If you snag that structure and you jerk up on a spoon thinking it's your bit, uh, you can definitely hurt yourself <laughs> as far as your elbows. Fishful thinker guide Ronnie Castiglione actually hooked uh, tore some tendons up in his elbow by jerking on a fish or jerking on what he thought was a fish that turned out to not be a fish and it was a rock and the braided line and the stiff rod came together to shock his elbow so be a little bit careful about that guys i get it, it's not a hugely common thing but if there's ever a fishing technique that's going to get your elbow it would be this one so fall fishing vertically it's one of the most consistent bites of the year. It's a quick way to load the boat. It's one of the most fun. It's very much video game fishing. So get your settings on your graph set how you need. Get a mix of blade baits and spoons and maybe gliding jigs. Uh, shorter, stiffer than average rod. Straight braided line, short fluorocarbon leader. Be very, very diligent about controlling your slack and keep track of your sonar because it is your best friend in this case. So. If you guys want more information, send me an email, chat at Fishful Thinker. Uh, be glad to help you with that. Uh, of course, we're at Fishful Thinker across social media platforms, Instagram, Facebook, and especially our YouTube channel. There's uh, some stuff on vertical stuff in the YouTube channel as well. So if you want to check some of that out, and otherwise, we hope you'll tune in and see what we got going on in Altitude Sports and World Fishing Network. Thanks for listening. This has been Fishful Thinker, the podcast.